Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today we're going to be talking about how to add faith to the gospel that you hear. And we're going to begin with Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, which says, Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Now, the gospel is supposed to profit you, but it didn't profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, we're going to talk about how do you mix faith with the gospel that you hear. And the gospel really is the results of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And the word gospel simply means good news. We're talking about the good news about what God has done for you in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, the gospel did not profit them. They heard it, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Now, the example that that Paul is using, excuse me, Paul, where are we at? Hebrews. It's Paul. All right. We'll make sure we got Paul right. Okay. He's using is when the children of Israel come to the promised land. They come to the edge. God has said, I have given you this land. Now, here's what's interesting about that. There's still seven nations, giants, walled cities, iron chariots there. But God said, I've given it to you. So they send 12 spies in. The spies spend 40 days. They look over the land and they come back. And 10 of them got up and said, it is flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. But, but, but. How many of you know your but can get you in a lot of trouble? All right. It says, but. We saw giants, we saw walled cities, we saw seven nations, and we are not able to go in and take possession. Now, two million people listened to that and believed it. And they said, oh my goodness, it would be better for us to die in the desert. God said, as you have spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. Every one of you that said, we cannot go in, From 20 years old and up, you're going to die and not go in. But two men, Joshua and Caleb, stood up and said, let us go in at once and take possession. God said, those two, I'm going to take in to the promised land. So out of two million people, everybody got exactly what they said. Those that said we can, they could. Those who said they couldn't, couldn't and didn't. God said, as you've spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. God promised them, I'll go with you. I'll help you. But it did not profit them because they didn't believe it. They didn't mix faith with what they heard. So we need to learn to use our words effectively. God said, as you have spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. Jesus said, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Now, God actually, in the beginning, when he created humanity, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You were created to have dominion. That's what you were created for. You weren't created to be walked on. 
You were created to have dominion. And it's really interesting. If we look at Jesus, we see him using that dominion. He spoke to sickness. He spoke to storms. He spoke to, to demons. He spoke to trees. And he used that dominion that he was given with the words that he spoke. Now, we have authority, dominion. The Bible says over all the earth. Jesus cursed that tree, cursed those storms. He took authority over demons, took authority over sickness and disease. But we don't have authority over other people. It's in Ecclesiastes 8, it says, there is no man ruling over the spirit to restrain the spirit. You don't have authority over somebody else's spirit. You cannot make them do something. I remember years ago listening to a pastor and he, he said in his congregation, he said there was a woman that came up to him and said, said, I believe that I'm going to marry that man right there. Right? And, and I, he didn't know anything about it. She said, I claim him. I claim him in Jesus' name. He's going to be my husband as soon as he divorces his wife. <laughs> now, you should take people like that, give them a Bible, give them a flashlight, lock them in a closet for six months. Okay. But listen, you don't have authority over somebody else to make them do something. That's witchcraft. There's none of the, you see, God won't even make somebody do something. If God was going to make somebody, he would make everybody get saved. Right? He would make all Christians tithe. <laughs> but how many know God doesn't make you do something? The spirit of God might move on you and say, lead you to do it, but he doesn't make you do it. Right? And, and when people think they have authority over other people to make them do something, that's the wrong spirit. Right? And when any group of people right, try to have dominion over another group of people, one ethnicity over another ethnicity, it is a perversion. That's what it is. Right? We're not given authority over people. We're given authority over the earth. We're given authority over demons, but not people. Right. And the second thing I want to say before we get into this message, right, is when, the Bible, when we talk about believing, we're talking about believing the Bible. All right. You can have faith for what God promises you in the Bible. And faith is dependent on knowledge. You can't believe for what you don't know. Right. In fact, the Bible talks about the promises. In Corinthians, it says that there, is, there, there are these promises and that they're all yes and amen in Christ. Peter calls them exceeding great and precious promises through which we can escape the corruption that's in the world, right? So God has promises again and again. If you, if you read on the subject, they say there's over 7,000 of them in the Bible, right? But when we talk about believing, we're talking about believing the Bible. You can't believe for what the Bible doesn't promise you, right? So, so, so years ago, I was doing some marriage counseling, well, pre-marriage counseling, right? And by the way, you, you never want me to do your counseling, because I'm really a bad counselor, right? I let you talk for about two minutes and I say, admit it, quit it, and get out of here. <laughs> right. Pastor Merle, wait, wait, everybody, Pastor Merle. Pastor Merle is the best counselor. If I have problems, I'll go to him, all right? He's sweet, all right? He'll listen. Me, I just say, shut up, admit it, quit it, pray, let's get out of here, all right? All right. But anyway, I'm doing this pre-marriage counseling. Right? And we'd had several sessions in this, and I said, and we got the, 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 the part about sex. And I said, now, have you guys talked at all, you know, about children? You plan to have any? He says, well, we're not going to have any for five years. I said, well, you know, are you planning on using any contraceptives? Have you talked about that? And, and, and they said, no, we don't need any. They said, we just believe God. We're not going to have any children. 
<laughs> I didn't laugh out loud, but I, 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 I did kind of on the inside. And I said, uh, I said, you know, I don't really think that'll work. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, oh yeah, we just, we just declare it. We just believe God. We just say, we're not going to have any. We're not going to have any. I said, like, where's that in the Bible? And they said, well, you know, just say what you want and you get it. And, and, and I said, no, you're not believing the Bible. The Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. I said, I, I said, now, you are trying to unbelieve the Bible. You say, what happened? 12 months later, they're parents. <laughs> That's what happened, right? You can't unbelieve the Bible, all right? And the only thing that we can have faith for is what God has promised us in his word, right? Uh, I believe though that, the, that all of us, I was gonna say the majority, but I believe all of us are living way below our rights and privileges in Christ. It's in Romans 5, verse 17. It says, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. As believers, we're supposed to reign as kings in life. Not when we get to heaven. How many know when you get to heaven, it's going to be easy? Right? There's not going to be any giants in heaven. There's going to be no obstacles in heaven. But it's here. We're supposed to reign as kings in life through Jesus. And, and literally what we need to do is we need to find out what are those exceeding great and precious promises. We need to believe that word. We need to confess that word. Your words are spiritual containers. They literally have creative force. Again, Jesus healed with his words. He cast out demons with his words. He spoke to storms. He spoke to a fig tree, right? Now, God in the beginning said, let there be light. And God created man as a speaking spirit. And God has given us, when we have faith in him, this certain amount of creative power. When we put our faith in his word. So we're going to take a look at Mark 11, verse 22 and 23. But let me just kind of give you the backdrop. Jesus and his disciples are staying in Bethany. It's a little town about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And they're staying at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Apparently the night before they stayed up late as Jesus was preaching because Mary and Martha did not get up in the morning to fix breakfast for Jesus. They slept in. So Jesus and his disciples, they leave Bethany, right? They'll come over the Mount of Olives and and come down, cross that Kidron Valley and go right on up into the Temple Mount about two miles, but on the way, Jesus is hungry and he sees a fig tree and he goes over to the tree and he looks for figs and he doesn't find any. And then Jesus said, no man ever eat fruit of you again forever. And the Bible says that he cursed the fig tree. Now, Jesus did not say four letter words. When he cursed the fig tree, he simply said, no one eat fruit of you again forever. And I don't know if we, how many of us realize this, but, but we can speak negative words. We can curse our own life. We can say things like, I'm never going to get ahead. I'm never going to succeed. My family's always been poor. I'll always be poor. I will never get free from this addiction. You know, they're already saying there's going to be an epidemic of flu in December. I'll be the first one to get it. You know, we can speak those negative words over our own life. 
So Jesus, he cursed that tree. They went into the city. Jesus went to the Temple Mount and he preached. They went back to Bethany, same road. Spent the night in Bethany, got up in the morning, came back by the tree. And when they came by the tree, the disciples said, Jesus, look at the tree that you cursed. They said, it's withered up from the roots. And Jesus begins to explain to them what happened. And by the way, this is the most in-depth teaching on the subject of faith anywhere in the Bible. And Jesus starts, verse 22, and he said to them, he said, have faith in God. You know, there's people that'll tell you, you need to connect with the inner God, the inner self, and that there's this this power inside of you, right? But Jesus said, have faith in in God. Not in yourself, have faith in God. And literally to have faith in God is having faith in his word and what he's declared, what he's promised you. Now, Peter had the wrong kind of faith. And this is what he said. Jesus said, all of you are going to deny me and run away from me. And Peter said, I will never deny you. Even though everybody denies you, I will never deny you. I am ready to die with you. In less than 24 hours, he's renounced Jesus three times. And the Bible says he's bringing curses on himself saying, I've never even known the man. He had faith, but he had faith in Peter. There's a big difference between having faith in yourself and having faith in God and what God has promised you in his word. So Jesus said, have faith in God. He said, for verily I say to you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. So here's how Jesus begins his talk on faith. He says, verily, or some of your translations say, truly, I say to you. Now, Jesus is speaking. How many of you believe Jesus always tells the truth? But when he starts his conversation and says, I'm going to tell you the truth, this is what it means. It means I'm going to tell you the truth and you're going to hear it and you're not going to believe it. So Jesus is warning us right now. What I say to you is true. When you hear this, you will not believe it. You're going to think this can't be right got to be wrong, just works for Jesus, just works for other people, not for me. But Jesus said, verily I say to you, that whosoever will say to this mountain. So who does this work for? Whosoever. That that means this will work for anybody, rich, poor, man, woman, educated, uneducated. You live in a mansion or you, you, you live in a bridge, under a bridge on the expressway in a cardboard box. This will work for whosoever will say. Whosoever will say. Now listen, this is worth writing down. Tweet this, would you? The first thing that your faith will ever move is your mouth. And if your faith does not move your mouth, it will not move anything else. Because faith works for whosoever will whosoever will say. So all you need to do to be disqualified is say nothing. In fact, Jesus is talking in another gospel to his disciples about faith. And he said, if you had faith, you would be saying. If you had faith, you would be what? 
saying. In other words, your faith will move your mouth. And if it doesn't move your mouth, it's not going to move any mountains, any obstacles, any giants. First thing faith moves is your mouth. So if you don't speak, you're disqualified. And I've had people say this. Well, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Listen, Jesus is talking about faith. Three times in this verse, he talks about saying. One time he talks about believing. You need to believe, but you also need to say, right? Jesus said that the first thing about faith is it works for whosoever will say. So you say, well, I believe that. But the question is not, do you believe it? Because faith has two parts. There's a believing part and there is a speaking part. Second Corinthians 4.13, since we have the same identical, literally in the Greek, the identical spirit of faith, according to what's written, he's going to show us in the Old Testament. I believe it says, therefore I spoke. Then he brings it to you and me. We also believe, therefore we speak, right? The spirit of faith has a believing part and it has a speaking part. And he said, we have the exact identical, same spirit of faith. The way that it used to work is the exact same way it works today, right? And your faith will not work if it's just in your heart. Against Romans 10, verse 8, but what does it, faith, say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Faith has to be two places, right? Now, the, the United States Treasury Department says if you've got a quarter, and by the way, on that quarter, we've got the, the, the head of a dead president and there's an eagle on the back. Now, the Treasury Department says if either side is marred, it is no longer legal tender. If you've got a perfect eagle on one side, right, but the president's head is marred, that's not legal tender. You can't spend it. Or if you've got the head intact and the eagle is marred, it is not legal tender. And that's a perfect picture of faith. You've got to have the believing part right and you've got to have the speaking part right. You've got to have both parts. And without both parts, your faith will not work. Right? So... Jesus said to speak to it and to say, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, again, most people don't speak to their mountain. They talk about their mountain. They tell you, I've had it for 10 years. It hurts this much. It costs this much. I take this medication. It's been in my family for 20 years. And they'll tell you all about their problem all about their mountain. But Jesus did not say to talk about your mountain, right? He said to talk to your mountain and to say, be removed and cast into the sea. Now, I think it's very, very significant that he said the sea. The sea is the one place that you can take a mountain and put it and bury it and it's gone and you don't even know what was there. And here's what Jesus is saying. He said, you may have a mountain today. He said, but you can get rid of that mountain and you can get rid of it to such a degree that three years from now, you look and you can't even ever tell there was a mountain there because it's just gone, 
right? See, most people would be happy if their mountain just moved to their neighbor's yard. I mean, just kind of like get it a little bit out of my life. Give me a little bit of relief, all right? But Jesus is saying you can have absolute, total, complete recovery, dominion. And so that in the future, you tell people, well, I used to have a mountain like that. And they'll go, no, you didn't. They won't even believe you. How many of you know that Jesus can take your test and make it your testimony? He can take the mess that you're in today, totally turn that thing around and to the point where there is absolutely no evidence that it was ever there. Now, this is the, this is the part I really want you to grab, all right? Here's what a lot of us think, all right? Because I've had people tell me this. I know this mountain's here, but I think that God is teaching me. That's why he sent this mountain to teach me. And I've had people say, God sent this mountain and he's punishing me. That's why this mountain's here. It's just a test or it's a punishment. And, and God wants this mountain, you know, and I'm just waiting for God to move the mountain. God wants the mountain here. Listen, if God wanted the mountain in your life, Jesus would not have told you how to get rid of it. He wouldn't have said to you. And, and here's what we do. We're waiting for God to move the mountain. Right? We're saying, God, God, do this, God. Take care of that, God. Do this, God, do that. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to speak to that mountain. Right? Your mountain needs to hear your voice. Right? Jesus says, you need to speak to that mountain. Well, well pastor, I've been attending church here for a long time. I tithe. Why don't you talk to my mountain? I just need you to speak to my mountain. You know, you may just as well say, pastor, I need to lose 30 pounds. Would you please go to the gym? <laughs> if I go to the gym, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, not you. Okay. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. You say, yeah, but Joyce Myers, I'll have Joyce Myers talk. No, it needs to hear your voice. Jesus said, you need to speak to that mountain. Listen. No one has more authority, spiritual authority in your life and your situation than you do. Nobody has more spiritual authority than you do in that situation. There was a man who came to Jesus and said, you know, deliver my son. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, not if Jesus can believe. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. It wasn't could Jesus believe, Jesus needed him to believe. And so often we're going, God, do this, God, do that. And God's doing, look, I already took care of the devil for you. I already purchased victory for you. Now, would you just use the authority that I've given you in Jesus' name and grab hold of some of those exceeding great and precious promises that I've given you and believe that promise, confess that promise and victory is on the way. That mountain will be removed. Jesus said that he'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, here's what we do. We do the same thing the children of Israel did, all right? The children of Israel, they sent the spies. These spies come back. And this is what they said. Well, it's just like God said, it flows with milk and honey. But there's giants. There's walled cities. There's seven nations. And we cannot go in. They are stronger than we are. 
And this is what God said. He said, they gave an evil report. God called that an evil report, right? Why? Because God said, I've given it to you. It's yours. I'm with you. And they said, we can't do it. You disagree with God, God calls that evil. It's an evil report of unbelief, right? So here's what we do. Jesus says, you'll have whatsoever you say. But what you do is you say what you've got. And if all you do is ever say what you've got, all you're ever going to get is what you have. I know that's deep, so I'll say it again. <clears throat> so you look at your situation and you say what, you, what you've got. But Jesus said, you're going to have whatsoever you say. And if all you do is say what you've got, all you're ever going to get is what you have. Okay, now let me give you an example. Genesis chapter one, verse two. It says that the earth is without for, for form and it's void, right? There's darkness over the face of the earth. Literally, some, some translations actually say it this way, that the earth is catastrophic, right? It is an absolute mess and there's darkness and there's catastrophe everywhere. Right? And God looks at that. The Spirit of God's hovering over the waters. And God looked and God said, that's a big mess. That is very dark. That is the darkest place I have ever seen. Is that what God said? God did not say what he saw. He said what he wanted. And he said, let there be light. See, a lot of us just say what we see. Man, my finances are a mess. We owe more money now than ever before. I got $20,000 of debt on credit cards, and I don't think I'm ever going to get out of here. Well, you're saying what you've got, and all you're ever going to get is what you have. Right? Why? Because God's got some promises for you about your finances. But if you're just going to say what you've got instead of what God says you can have, you're going to have what you say. Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you say. In fact, the Greek word there, say, is the word Lego. Right? Uh, all parents and grandparents know what Legos are, don't you? That is the Greek word. All right? Tristan had a birthday a while back, went to Toys R Us. Went down the part where they, were, well, they had these Legos. And I chose what I thought was some great Legos for Tristan, right? Gave them to him on his birthday, right? Now, on the box, there was this picture. And we opened up the box, but the picture was not there. It wasn't, I'm telling you, all right? But everything to make the picture was there. But what we had to do is we had to take these little blocks and we had to Lego them, systematically put them together. And the Greek word Lego literally means what you systematically say, tell, and declare to others. Jesus said, you'll have what you systematically say, tell, and declare to others. So here's, here's how this works. Now, if Jesus had just added two words to this verse 
every Christian would have total victory. If Jesus had just said, you'll have whatsoever you say in church. Because in church, people say the right thing. In church, man, I'm delivered, I'm prospered, I'm healed, I'm blessed, hallelujah, in church. Right? But you get in your car. You have not gone down the road three minutes. And you know what's coming out of your mouth. You're talking about how bad it is. You're talking about how negative things are, right? how you're never going to have a breakthrough, how nothing's ever going to change. Right? You don't get what you say in church. You get what you say in the car. You get what you say at the coffee shop and at school and at work and at the gym. That's what you get. Jesus says you get what you systematically say, tell, and declare. Right? So listen, to, to close, I'm not done, but I'm just going to close. Right? It's very important that we watch what we say. But it is just important, just as important that we make sure we've got the right thing in our heart. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So you've got to have the right thing on the inside for the right thing to come out. Again, Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it, faith, say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So it's got to be two places, right? So you've got to make sure that you put in your heart God's word so that when the day of adversity comes, that's what comes out. Several years ago, Daniel, you, you may remember, how many, how many years ago did we sink that boat? Just over 20 years ago. Okay, so I take Samuel and Daniel. We go up to Ludington and we go out with this captain of this boat and we're out north of Ludington. We're, we're salmon fishing. And uh, after a day of salmon fishing, we're, we're on our way back. And we're still 10, maybe 12 miles from Ludington. Right? And all of a sudden that motor starts to sputter. <laughs> boat's jerking and the captain, he puts it in neutral and he turns the motor off and he opens up that motor cover. And when he did, water just starts coming out. And in, in, in a few seconds, we're standing in water. What we didn't know at that point was that as we were coming back, we had hit a log and there was a hole in the bottom of the boat this big, right? So he slammed that cover back down, went over, tried to start that motor. There was nothing. I mean, that motor was, it's underwater, did not even turn. He grabs that radio Mayday, mayday, Coast Guard, mayday, mayday. He's screaming. Coast Guard answers. You know, said, what's the problem? He said, we're sinking. Help. Mayday. And the guy says, where are you? He gives the Lawrence numbers. So they know within 50 feet of where we are in Lake Michigan. And the man said, we'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> We literally, we are standing in water. It's up to my knees, all right? It, it is less than two minutes and that boat's going down, all right? So I said, do you have any life jackets? He said, yes. I threw one on Samuel, one on Daniel. We were two miles or so from shore. I pointed towards shore and I took both of them, I threw them. And I said, swim that way. And he said, why'd you do that? You ever seen a movie where a boat sinks? There's that big old thing, you know, sucks everybody down. I wasn't going to have my boys getting sucked down. So I threw them and, and I turn and I look at the captain. I don't think I've seen more fear 
any place in my life. And he said to me, he he grabs me and he said, I can't swim. Now, back then I used to do a lot of triathlons. I'd done over a hundred triathlons and had swam competitively. And I thought, I'm a good teacher, but there is no time. <laughs> Listen, here's what, here's what we do spiritually. We wait until spiritually our life is sinking. We got a hole in the bottom of our life. The water is about up to our waist. And we're going, help! Jesus, help me! Well, what you need to do is you need to take lessons a long time before. See, in order to have the right thing come out, because out of the abundance of your heart, you're going to speak. You've got to put the right thing in every day, every day, every day, every day. You put God's word in your heart every day. And when your boat starts to sink, you know what's going to come out? The word's going to come out. Promises are going to come out. Listen, help from heaven is what's going to come out, right? But if you're not putting the word in, if you're not putting the word in, everything that your mind can picture going wrong is what's going to come out, right? So you say, what happened? Uh, There was a boat about a half a mile away, saw us go down. They came over and they rescued the captain. The Coast Guard came and rescued Daniel, Samuel, and I, and we went back and Daniel had a little hypothermia. We threw him in, the, in uh, the shower, in a hot shower for about 15 minutes and had a nice steak dinner. It turned out great, <laughs> literally. But, but listen, spiritually, if your life is going down and you don't have the word on the inside, you're in a whole lot of trouble, right? But if you will every day put God's word in your heart, when the day of adversity comes out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? I know today in America, what most people believe is that good people go to heaven. But the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that forgiven people go to heaven. It teaches that everybody's welcome, that everybody gets in the same way that everybody can meet the requirements, right? Teaches you're not a Christian by association because you've been to church or because your parents are Christians. See, there's just one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That means that my way will not get me to heaven and your way will not get you to heaven. There's just one way. Jesus said, I'm the way. This is what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. That means you have to give him all of your heart and all of your life. There's no middle ground. And he will not, as a thief, steal your heart or as a manipulator, manipulate your heart away. If you have not purposefully given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. And you need to give. Jesus said, you must not optional, you must be born again. You need to get right with God. And today is your opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I understand that you know about Jesus, you know about God. 
Everybody does. We know about Christmas and Easter. But salvation is not about your head. Salvation is about your heart. You're giving your heart and your life to Jesus. And again, you need to consciously do that. And if you haven't, you still have it. But today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, you must be born again. So if you're not right with God today, you say, I want to get right. I want to be forgiven. I need to give Jesus my heart and life. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, just want you to lift up your hand. We're going to pray together and God's going to meet you today in this place. And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying, you're saying, I know I need a savior. And I know there's just one and that is Jesus. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm not going to let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy my life one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life that he has for me. Two. Now get ready. You lift in your hand. You're saying, today, I'm giving Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to be born again. He's going to come into my heart, blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three. Lift it up right now. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Just lift him up. Thank you. God bless you. Right here. Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Include me, pastor. Include me. I'm not right. I want to get right. I want to know forgiven. Thank you. God bless you. Over here to my left. Somebody else. Include me. Include me. All right. Now, would everybody please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. I want you to move to the aisle that's nearest you and come right down here. Bring the person that you came with if you brought somebody with you. But make your way right down here. From the balcony, if you'll come down, we're going to wait for you. Make your way down. But when we say amen in just a moment, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a brand new person on the inside. Most important decision you'll ever make. Jesus said, you must be born again. Awesome. Thank you for coming. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, one of those great promises. It says that whosoever, this is going to work for every one of you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. When we say amen, you're going to be forgiven, right with God, part of his family on your way to heaven. Past is going to be gone. Right? Everybody, would you take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray with those that lifted their hands. Hold it. They're making it. Hold it. They're still coming from the balcony. Let's give them a hand. Awesome. Thank you for making it down. Awesome. Lamb, child of God. Everybody, we're going we're gonna to pray together, but make these words your own. Remember, it says in Romans 10 that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we're about to witness some miracles right here. Say this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. 
Right now, I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I receive him as my king, as my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That you blood washed me from my sin. That my past is gone. That you make me a new person on the inside. That I am now a part of your family, your child on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.